Okay, um, so we're going to be in Mark chapter 8. We'll be looking at uh, the uh, verses 1 to 21 in total, but uh, right now I'm going to start by reading verses 14 uh, to 21. So if you want to follow along on screen or there in your Bibles, um, join with me and they'll pray. <clears throat> now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember, when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, and the baskets full of broken pieces, did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the chance to be challenged and encouraged uh, by Jesus and what he's speaking to his disciples. And uh, Lord, we pray we would hear this in our hearts too, uh, God, that we would trust you for who you are and not try and make you in anything else. Uh, so God, we pray that as we walk through this passage today, that you encourage and strengthen our hearts, convict us with the Holy Spirit, um, show us uh, where we can um, be drawn closer to you today and in, in the coming week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> Um, how many of you, uh, enjoy any sort of, like, long-form documentary series? Popular. Very popular. Very nice. Okay, so, good. Now, now that you've acknowledged that you're into this genre and understand, I need some examples. So, favorite long-form that can be shared, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. This, these, can get, these can get pretty dicey, so I'm not sure. Um, uh, favorite long form documentary series could be podcast, could be video, you know, whatever one. Ah, done. Yeah, seriously, right? Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yep, definitely. Very good one. That's about Marshall Church, Seattle. Anyway. Good. Yeah, hard. Hard. Uh, important. Yeah, yeah. Others, uh, long form documentary series that you're like, this is one everyone needs to watch. I love it. Finding Bigfoot. <laughs> Very nice. Oh, yeah, nice. Nice. Okay. Okay. Very nice. <laughs> Any others? Any others burning out there that you gotta gotta tell you? Isaiah's got one. Watch out, Isaiah. Ancient Egypt and their king's history. Boom. All right, Hattie. Thirteen lives. Don't remember. Oh, okay, okay. Claire, Claire has one. The Dude Perfect Documentary Show. Yes, sir. Chronicling the life of the famous dudes. Very good. Um, my favorite's Back to the Future, but you know, whatever. Um, anyway, <clears throat> what? Oh, it's not. Shoot. Okay, that's, that ruins this whole thing. Um, okay. So one one that's been. <laughs> One that's been very popular uh, recently in the sports world, sorry, I mean, sorry, sorry. Uh, and, and apologies in advance to the Thursday night group, we kind of talked on this on Thursday, but 
Uh, anyone watch The Last Dance? Okay. What's that? The Ryan Express. Okay, very good. 30 for 30 and as a whole is really great from ESPN, but uh, they did a special called The Last Dance, which is about the Chicago Bulls, okay? Everyone knows who the Chicago Bulls is? Yeah? Anyone know who, everyone know who Michael Jordan is? Do we have? I know I, I need to ask that question. Everyone's got, okay, right, obviously. Even Marcus, even Marcus knows who Michael Jordan is. Okay, so um, if you followed sports at all in the 1990s, if you were alive, really, in the 1990s, uh, you should know who Michael Jordan is. Uh, something special, obviously, and um, it didn't matter whether, you know, what adversary came up against Michael Jordan and the Bulls. It just seemed like they would find a way uh, to win. I can still remember uh, listening to basketball games while playing pool at my parents' house, uh, you know, just listening to the Bulls just beat person after person after person, you know, just amazing games. Watch them uh, win title after title. Uh, and Michael Jordan as a player was just so fun to watch because he transited everybody in that era of basketball. Um, and now he's like the benchmark that you, you know, test anybody else against. They're saying, is he as good as Michael? Is Kobe as good as Michael? Is LeBron good as Michael? Is it, whoever it is, that's who he's tested against. But uh, The Last Dance is this documentary that chronicled just the experience that everybody was going through around Michael Jordan as he traveled through this crazy run of championships, um, and particularly into the last season where they knew going into the season that the leadership of the, uh, the basketball team was going to break them apart. So going into the season, they knew that this group of players was not going to be together after that season. And so, you know, the last stance is termed around that, knowing this season was their last, would they pull it off and would they win? Spoiler alert, they did. Um, anyway, so it chronicles this time. And um, with this documentary, as, as well as any of those docu-series that you look through and even like uh, based on a true story, movies or whatever, um, you look at these movies and there's something common about all of them. Um, and, and that's that all the characters, they're in the middle of this a really powerful change or really powerful moment in time and history and whatever realm they might be uh, chronicling, they have no idea the magnitude of what's going on while they're in the midst of it, right? It's just happening, right? The experience is happening. All of a sudden, you win one championship with the Bulls, and you're like, okay, well, that was amazing. We dominated. And, and then, like, another, and then another, and then another. And you're just going, looking at this going, this is something special. Like, something special is happening, it snuck up on us, and it's happening right now, and we're in the midst of it. And there's all the human emotion in every one of these stories of like, you know, pride and humility, and like all this struggle for power, and all this stuff is always going on in these stories. Um, but in every one of these stories that are so powerful, you look back and say, you know, you don't really have time to process what's going on until some conflict arises and it all falls apart, or some resolution happens, and you're looking back and going, whoa, that was nuts. Like, what did we just walk through, you know? Um, and so this is a common thing. And I think it's important for us to point out as we look at the Gospels, okay, and kind of try to put ourselves in the place of the disciples. And Paul and I talked about this on Thursday, just like they didn't know how big this moment was, right? They just know they're following Jesus, and they have these expectations in their head about what's going to happen, they're trying to grapple with it from moment to moment to moment. They do not understand just how big this moment is. And it's not until years later that they're looking back at the thing, Jesus is raised from the dead, and they're going, what just happened?
right? And now they're telling each other. They're, they're reminding people of the story, and that's exactly what Mark is doing here, right? He's, he's sending this letter to the city of Rome and saying, this is the message of Jesus, right? This is how it came to earth and how we, we saw him walk and what we saw him do, and this is the impact it had. And this is how it was different than we expected. And so uh, one thing is very clear as we work through Mark and as you've read any of these gospel accounts, the disciples are very willing, actually, I think tremendously willing, to admit that while they were walking side by side with Jesus, they did not understand. It was totally going over their heads. I mean, listen to the verse, that we, like the verses that we just read, right? Jesus asked them, tells them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and beware of the leaven of Herod. And they don't know what's going on. That, that is a personal admission from Mark and Peter to say that, like, we didn't get it. Like, we were right there among him, and we had no idea. Jesus, in fact, says to us, do you not yet understand? They're so willing to say, we didn't. We did not understand how big of a moment and how serious this moment was. They didn't know what was happening, and they didn't really know the fullness of what was happening until he died on the cross and rose on the third day, in which everything for them came together in that moment. As they write their accounts, they're trying to get across to their audiences the implications of the life of Jesus and how their hearers need to respond to what he did and to what he said. So with that, as we look at this, uh, this really this chapter as a whole, just verses 1 to 21, we see a couple of stories here before Jesus comes and gives the disciples this warning that we started out with. Uh, we see the feeding of the 4,000, and we see then an interaction uh, with the Pharisees. They go back across the Sea of Galilee and back across the Sea of Galilee twice in this passage, um, in which he, he challenges the Pharisees on some things. And then we have this um, challenge to the disciples that they don't understand yet what is going on. Uh, so we're going to look at, starting verse 1, chapter 8. In those days, when again a crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. And he called his disciples to them and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some have come from a very far way. Now, again, we, we've got a, a crowd of thousands, over thousand. And just pointing out as we walk through this passage we are comparing this passage to uh, the previous time that Jesus fed 5,000, right? Because there's two records of, the, records of uh, feedings, and the first one is with 5,000 men being fed, okay? The second is with 5,000 people. So the first one, 5,000 times 2.5 or 3 or whatever, we're looking at 20,000 plus people in that feeding. Here we're looking at 4,000 people, so it is much less, different crowd, um, there are some differences in what is happening here that we should highlight, and I think that Mark is trying to highlight as he's gone through this section. Um, first is this, it, uh, right in verse 2, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me three days, and I don't want to send them away hungry to their homes. In the previous feeding, the disciples came to Jesus and said, these people have no food, we need to get them food. They're the ones that notice the need. In this section, Jesus is saying, I noticed the need. In the first feeding, the, the people were there with him for one day. Here, they've been with him for three days, okay? Um, in the first feeding, we had a group of people 
who had chased Jesus to this desolate place, knew that he was going to this certain place, actually got there before him, okay, like knew he was headed that way, went there before him as a crowd, and in other accounts, that is in uh, Luke and John, uh, we see that at that feeding, the feeding of the 5,000, they desired to make Jesus their king, okay? This is a predominantly, in the first feeding, predominantly a Jewish group of individuals that is saying, this is the Messiah, he's rallying to this point of, uh, of where zealots are, are located, and now we're going to exalt him as king, and he's going to be our leader, he's going to overthrow Rome, and all this is about to happen. This culmination of things is happening. Here, the feeding of the 4,000, as you remember from last week, we've traveled all the way across to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, and this group of individuals is predominantly Gentile. These are people who have been evangelized by the demoniac, Okay. When Jesus came and healed the demoniac and said, no, you got to stay over here and tell your people what I've done for you, he did, okay? And, and thousands of people now want to know what it is Jesus is saying and doing. And in fact, this group of predominantly Gentiles has stayed with him for three days. Jesus says, if they went away from now, they would faint on their way home. They had come out so far from civilization to hear Jesus' words and had spent three days sitting at his feet, listening to him say some things like... The time, yes? The time is fulfilled. Anybody else? The kingdom is here. Repent and believe. Yes. The message of the good news in Mark. The time has come. The kingdom of God is present. It is here. Repent and believe. Same message he's been saying the whole time long. He's been teaching to this group of people uh, here on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. So he has compassion on this crowd that is a very different makeup than the previous crowd. And he says to his, and his disciples answer him, how can we feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? <laughs> and they say seven. In verse uh, six, we see him setting down the crowd and feeding them. It says this, and he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground and took seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. <clears throat> we think potentially sardines based on kind of like what they eat. Anyway, gross, right? Um, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. Um, again, just another marker that this is a predominantly Gentile crowd. In the, in the feeding of the 5,000, he, he has a more Jewish blessing of the food. He looks to heaven and blesses the food, and here he gives thanks for the food. There's actually a difference in how he blesses the food in front of this crowd. Um, just a side thing there. And so he puts this food, this, uh, the seven loaves and a few small fish before these people, and again, just like the last time, they pass out this food to this huge crowd, and in verse 8 it says, and they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And verse 9, and there were about 4,000 people, and he, and he sent them away, right? Um, as we see this interaction that Jesus has with this crowd, it's, just, it's really important to note what Mark is trying to communicate to uh, a, a, a mixed crowd of people in the city of Rome. Again, this, this group of people in Rome is being persecuted by the Roman Empire because of their Christian faith. 
and Mark is writing back to them to encourage them in the good news of the gospel, to hold fast to it. It's important for us to get across that the good news of Jesus was received by and also meant for Gentiles, not just the Jews. We've seen since the feeding of the 5,000, this movement from ministry unto the Jews and then out unto the Gentiles, and actually have seen reception, rightful, rightful acceptance uh, from among the Gentiles. Last week, we saw a Gentile woman from Tyre, an enemy of Israel, hear Jesus' parable, respond in parabolic form, and receive by faith a blessing on her children, on her, on her daughter, right? She understood, she heard with her ears and saw with her eyes what Jesus was doing in this parable to her, received it, recited it back to her in faith, asking for God to fulfill this, and received it. We see Jesus going out from his ministry unto the Jews, unto the Gentiles, and here, this kind of section between the 5,000 feeding and the 4,000 feeding, what Mark, I think, is trying to get across to us is that this is not just about uh, finding the king of Israel, okay? The Jews thought it was about finding the Messiah, the king of Israel, that would save Israel from their political uh, difficulties. And we're getting across here that that has never been what Jesus came for. He came for something much more, much bigger than that. And now today, in this passage, we have a predominantly Gentile crowd remaining with Jesus for days, not to make him king over their country. They don't have any claim to Messiah. They just want to hear what he has to say. They want to remain with him. They just want to be with him and hear what he is saying because it is resonating in their hearts, that there is eternity set in their hearts, and they see that this, this Messiah, this Jesus is preaching a kingdom of God that is present on earth and a call to repentance and belief. And they're saying, yes, tell us more. Okay, so after the feeding, immediately, of course, uh, verse 10, uh, immediately Jesus got in the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha, across the, uh, across the thing here. Do I have a... I can't remember if I have a map there. Yeah, hey, looky, there's a map. Okay, so uh, they were here on the eastern side is where we think the 4,000 feeding was, eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, they immediately go across to uh, the area of Dalmanutha and uh, have a very brief interaction with the Pharisees and immediately leave and go back across to Bethsaida, okay? Um, verse 10, it says, they immediately got in the boat with his disciples and went to the dist district of Dalmanutha. Uh, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him. So immediately when he gets there, the Pharisees are picking a fight with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Okay, not another miracle. They've seen miracles. They've seen him heal the leper. They've seen him uh, cast out demons. They've seen him provide food for 20,000 people, you know, with a handful of fish and bread. Like they've seen provision and miracle happen. They're asking for a specific sign from heaven to come down and ratify the fact that they should be listening to him. They say, we've heard all this, we've seen your power, but we need something from heaven to come and say that you're the guy we're supposed to follow. They're asking for a sign from heaven. I, I think a sign similar to when, uh, when Elijah 
is having the, uh, the prophets of, is in, a, in a fight with the prophets of Baal, and he's having them pour water on the fire and say, okay, now I'm going to call down fire. Right? This is the kind of sign he's asking for from heaven. We want something to come out of the clouds and speak and show us that you're indeed the one. We want you to part some water. Whatever it is, we need a, we need a real sign from heaven. None of this miracle saving people's lives stuff. We want something powerful. Could you imagine hearing that as Jesus, right? Like, hey, uh, kind of came here in a virgin birth on my way to a cross to, like, die for you and then raise from the dead. Just like, you can understand, verse 12, and he sighed deeply in his spirit. Ugh, what the heck with these people? What more do you need from me, guys? He says, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he leaves. Goes back to see the Jewish leadership and immediately has this interaction, heads out. Verse 13, he left them, got into a boat again, and went to the other side. And again, this is where we picked up at the beginning. You, you see where the disciples are at in this, okay? The disciples have been watching this. They followed him to Tyre and Sidon. They saw this woman speak in faith and, and receive healing for her uh, demon-possessed daughter, uh, this enemy of theirs, actually, right? They've seen him walk across over to uh, feed the 4,000 predominantly Gentiles. They're probably going, this is really weird. Why are we hanging out with all these Gentiles? And these thoughts are stirring in their heads. We're Israelites, Right? What is going on with this message of, this, uh, of Jesus who we were following? And then they go back to their land, right, their side of the pond, and immediately get into a fight with the leadership of their, of their faith, right, of their nation. And they're going like, what? Just think about the ideas and thoughts that are swirling in the disciples' heads. They're like, I am a Jew, but Jesus is like totally calling out this leadership over here, and we're like spending lots of time with the Gentiles, our enemies, and what are we supposed to do with all this? So Jesus, again, heads over to the other side, uh, to Bethsaida, and he says this to them, this warning right in the middle of that, uh, the last section of the passage. He cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and the leaven of Herod. In the midst of this, as you heard, they're like discussing the fact that they don't have any bread. They're like, why is he talking about bread? We, do they know that, does he know that we forgot to bring bread? Like, what is happening? Where are we going to get bread? Why are we worried about leaven? What's going on, Jesus? And they just don't understand. So, a question we have to answer as we kind of head toward the end of this. What is leaven? Anybody know what leaven is? Eleven? Okay, no. Yeah? It causes bread to rise. It's, a, it's an, a process or an element that causes bread to rise or causes something to have air in it, right? There are actually four different methods of leavening. Anybody know the four methods of leavening? I just found out. Okay, I don't, just wondering if anybody knows this stuff. <laughs> What's that? Not a clue. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You want to grab Chrissy? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, so chemical, chemical agent. Okay. What would that be? That'd be baking powder or baking soda. 
is a chemical method of raising bread, okay, bringing, bringing leaven to bread. Biological, anyone know what that one is maybe? Yeast, okay, yeast is, yeah, very common leavening agent. Uh, mechanical, like whipping up a meringue, okay? If you're whipping up a meringue, they'll be leavening out the meringue, okay? You're puffing it up, making it big. Um, and physical, actually a dough can have enough water in it that you, if you steam it hot enough, that it will puff up and actually rise, okay? So there's these four different ways of, uh, of leavening. The, right, I think that's in the uh, biological, yes, beer can also be a leaven agent, and I think it's in the biological version, yes. Um, so there's these leavens, right? And the point that Jesus is saying is that there's a leavening agent in your mindset, okay? So beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and beware of the leaven of Herod, because that agent that is present inside of you is going to make itself manifest, okay? It's going to present itself. Your bread is going to puff up and to produce into something, okay? So what is this leavening agent that you are using? It says, if you have the leaven of the Pharisees in you, it might be very small thing, okay? Yeast is just like, you just need a dash of it compared to what's in there, okay? And when you let it proof, it just rises up big, okay? Um, and so, so if you have just a little bit of this idea of uh, the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of Herod inside of you, over the course of time, that can grow to make a very big difference in what your actual hope is in. So Jesus is challenging the disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and beware of the leaven of Herod. Because if any little bit of that is still in your heart, then you're missing what I am actually doing. So we have to ask, what is the leaven of the Pharisees? I think Mark has told us um, the leaven of the Pharisees is their religious commitment, their tradition, right? Um, the religious, the Pharisees, if, if we were to be like Pharisees, we'd be so committed to our tradition that we'd actually violate the commandments of God. You might remember when, when Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees a, a few passages back, they said, why don't your disciples wash their hands like, the, like, we're, like we're told to do in the tradition of the elders? And he says, your traditions, you're so committed to your traditions that you violate the commandments of God. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. We can be guilty of this, okay, of walking in the leaven of the Pharisees, of walking in the, okay, this is what it means to be a Christian, okay? I got to read my Bible. I got to pray. I got to go to church, hopefully a midweek service of some kind also. I got to raise my kids a certain way. Like, we just start checking off this list of things that it's supposed to look like and go, as long as I just do, do those things, then I'll be good. Trusting in the outside, the appearance of things, rather than the heart of things, is the leaven of the Pharisees. And we're all very capable of patting ourselves on the back and going, see, I'm doing a good job. I'm doing a great job. I've got some gold stars on my chart. I'm looking really great right now. It's the leaven of the Pharisees. The leaven of, of Herod is uh, a commitment to our flesh, a, an unwillingness to die to our flesh. 
You, again, from the book of Mark, we remember the story of John the Baptist, right? Okay, Herod, the leaven of Herod, okay? Herod is the man who understands John the Baptist and actually respects John the Baptist, like really is um, enthralled by his teaching, likes to hear from John the Baptist, was interested in that. But because he was throwing a party for some men and women and was confronted with a scenario, he decided, in spite of the fact that he liked John the Baptist and didn't think it was a good idea, he killed John the Baptist, right? He justified his actions in killing John the Baptist to serve his flesh. My flesh doesn't want to look weak in front of these people. My flesh wants to be impressive in front of these people. And so in spite of the fact that I actually think it would be the worst thing impossible to be killing John the Baptist right now, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to call for it to be done. This is the leaven of Herod, a slave to whatever my flesh desires. So Jesus challenges the disciples, beware. There is a, a, a propensity inside of your hearts to listen to the way of the Pharisees and go, why did we just shirk them off and cross the, uh, the sea again? Like, why did we just confront the Pharisees? We went all the way across the sea, confronted the Pharisees, and then left. They're going, those are kind of important people in our world. Like, what just happened? And they too, we know, are willing to, we see this in Judas, we see this even in the disciples, say, who's going to sit at your right hand in, your, in heaven? We see this pride welling up in them, wanting to have a position of power and satisfy their flesh. And Jesus says, beware of the leaven of Herod, this serving of your flesh. It's a challenging passage, and it's a passage we need to hear and be reminded of, and just a few things to go with uh, as we wrap up. First is this. Mark wants to get across to his hearers that the gospel is for everyone. It's for the nations. There isn't a person on this earth that you should judge in your heart and your spirit and go, you know what, I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to hear this. I don't, I don't. You know, I don't think they're going to respond to the gospel. What Mark is telling his hearers and the people in Rome is that the enemy that is persecuting you is watching in their heart. So stand true until the end and proclaim the gospel of Jesus because this enemy that is persecuting you might actually respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself went to the Gentiles and the Gentiles actually responded better than the Jews. So he's reminding you of this. If there might be some factions within you there in Rome about Jew and Gentile, which we know there were in the early church, don't get that out of your head. The gospel is for all people. It is for the nations. And so don't look on someone that's different than you and say, ah, this gospel, they, I don't think they really want to follow this. I don't, you know, they're just too far gone. <laughs> just... They're just gone too far. There's no way they're going to turn and respond to this. You all know that when you receive Christ Jesus, you are as far as you possibly could have been from. You recognize that. You saw, man, I am a sinner. There's no hope for me but Jesus. And so don't forget that you too were once without hope, dead in your sin, not able to see what the right way forward was. The gospel is for everyone. Let us not judge who it is for. 
the sign from heaven that these um, Pharisees call for, and honestly, that we all call for ourselves, right? We're looking for what the next thing to do is, and we say, God, just, you know, if you just show me a sign, I would know what decision to make in this instance. And he's going, yeah, I don't have a sign from heaven for you. You're just going to have to trust me and believe. The sign from heaven is that Christ died on the cross for you. And so however that uh, works itself out in what he has gifted you and given you to walk in, what you should be walking in is something similar to that, right? A pouring out of what God has poured into you, the sacrifice of, our, of the Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. The sign from heaven that the Pharisees are seeking was given to them, but it's given to them in a Savior that died for the entire world and rose on the third day. And finally this, again on the leaven, um, I just challenge us that there... In, in most cases in Scripture, leaven is referred to in a negative sense. But there's one case in which it is not, and that's in uh, Luke chapter 13, verses 20 to 21, when Jesus tells a parable about the kingdom. He says, And again he said to them, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Okay, if you're going to put a leavening agent in your life, I challenge you, and this is exactly what Jesus was challenging the disciples to, is that don't follow the Pharisees. Don't follow Herod. I'm doing something different. The kingdom of God is present in me. Repent and believe. Okay, if you're going to add a little leavening agent to your life and let it grow and build your life into what you desire it to be or what, you, uh, what it needs to be, then let that leavening agent be the kingdom of God. Because this is what the kingdom of God is like. It starts out really small in your life, one small little decision that takes you on a path that you never would have dreamed it would take you on. Twists and turns you didn't expect. Okay? Up against walls that you don't know how to get through, and God says, I've got a way still, and I, don't, I know you don't see it, but it's there. Okay, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It starts very small but it slowly grows and grows inside of you until the point at which you're looking at these obstacles and going, man, God, how are you going to beat this one? I know you are because you always do. And so beware of the leaven of religiosity and beware of the leaven of servitude to your flesh and accept the leaven of the kingdom of God. Let Holy Spirit direct your every single day. Let the cross of Jesus, this sign from heaven, transform everything that you do. Let it fill the whole loaf of bread and produce in you something beautiful that looks at every circumstance through the lens of what does God want to do with this mess? It's through this movement of the kingdom of God that this gospel goes out to the nations continues to go out one by one to the little dark corners of our earth, slowly going, slowly being seen, under the radar, not publicized broadly, okay? Miracles happen all the time. Somehow they're not broadcast on mainstream media, whatever. Like, things are happening all the time that we don't get, you know, we don't acknowledge or understand. It is, like, suppressed under the radar, but the kingdom of God is moving constantly and powerfully, right? 
Where is the church the biggest in the world? Okay. Where is it growing the biggest and fastest? In China. Nobody knows that. We know it in Christian churches. We celebrate that. But nobody talks about the fact that there is a church blossoming and growing in China that has been suppressed by persecution for years. And there are believers just longing to follow Jesus in the kingdom. And so don't worry about what it looks like on the outside. Let the leavening agent of the kingdom of God rest inside your soul and face every trial that you come up against. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for Jesus. We're so grateful for his disciples even that uh, were so willing to uh, humbly put their short, you know, shortfallings or, um, on display for all to see. God, Mark was willing to record. Yeah, we had no idea. Uh, we're like maybe a year into this thing and we have no idea what Jesus is doing. And Jesus told us as much. God, I hope that we are such a people that will be willing to acknowledge, man, we do not have this all together. We, we do not know what's going on. We're in the midst of a story that is beautiful and powerful, and we don't have a clue what's going on. We're just trusting you with the next step. And so, God, I pray for our church. I pray that uh, we wouldn't look outside of ourselves and and uh, be judging who could receive this word and who can't, but that we trust you with who you would take us to. Lord, I pray that uh, we would uh, not be serving our flesh like Herod did, but rather that we would serve the kingdom of God. Lord, we pray that um, we would indeed be a loving agent in our city, in our state, God, pouring out the love of Christ to all those that you would, would, would have us encounter. We're so thankful for what you're doing in our hearts and how you're challenging each and every one of us in our various circumstances. God, we, we just confess to you, we don't know what's happening. We don't know the end, but we know the person who knows the end, and we trust you, Lord. We trust you with how, how you're moving us forward. God, I thank you for these words of Jesus that challenge our hearts this morning. May we not be trusting in religion. May we not be trusting in our flesh. May we have our eyes solely focused on the King of Kings who came and died on a cross for us. Lord, we give you our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.